Off the Cuff Franchising, Episode 19. On your marks, get set, think. Hello and welcome to the Off the Cuff Franchising Podcast. I'm your host, David Tamale Sali. And I'm really glad to have this moment with you. you know, whether you're walking your dog or driving in the car, I just really am privileged that you've taken a, a moment out of your day to listen to this podcast and gain some insights from other people who are in the field. Maybe you own a franchise, maybe you're working in a franchise, but you're taking you, what you've separated yourself by taking the time to master your skills and your craft to help your business. And with that in mind, I have somebody really special to to talk to us today and I'm going to I thought I'd do something different actually I'm going to read an introduction from Joel Labava who's known as the franchise king he's a franchising consultant and you, know, you just google the franchise king I think he's trademarked that that phrase and you can see a picture of him with his crown on but I'm going to read what he says about our guest today he said I met Lizette online a few years ago she contacted me about one of her franchise company clients and I immediately liked her. Lizette knows franchising. She's helped independent companies become franchise companies. And like me, she's very picky about who she works with. She's all about the right fit and doing the right things for her clients and doing those things in a careful fashion. I recommend Lizette as a go-to person for franchise company training and more. So this is from Joel Debava and our guest today is Lizette Pertel. Lizette, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me to join you. Now, I need to check because I, I made a mistake with um, and Andrea Cholak, in case you're listening to the podcast. I think I've been practicing your name, who's from Surf and Fries. Have I pronounced your name correctly, Lizette? Yeah, that's correct. That okay. is perfect. Okay, yes. that's good. Is that a, a, where's your name from? The name is French, uh, however, I was born in Venezuela, so I'm a little bit of a combination of all kinds of uh, places, so. Aha, because you, you, so you were born in Venezuela, but you're in North Carolina. How, have you been in North Carolina long, or what's your journey? Well, no, I am kind of a, a little bit of a gypsy, so in my type of work, it allows me to basically work from anywhere where I have access to an airport and internet. So I, and I like to travel, and, uh, and my work has taken me some really wonderful places like uh, South Africa. And, um, I, I work in, in Southern Africa, but lived in South Africa for five years. Yeah. And um, it here in the states, I've been in every every place in every state, yeah. so <laughs> every every for sure. And uh, so I, I just um, something that uh, I enjoyed. Doing, so. Oh, that's cool. So when you, mm -hmm. what did you want to be when you were when you grew up back when you were a kid? Oh my gosh, where do I want to be when I grow up? I I think one of, my main objective in life, and it just. Since I was a little girl, I really wanted to help others. I wanted to, through teaching, yeah. uh, I mean, I started teaching uh, and mentoring and my, my um, classmates when I was really, really young. I just loved to help 
people understand um, difficult concepts. I have a knack, people have said, for um, taking a, a really difficult and um, technical subject matter and break it down into something that people can understand and um, apply. Mm-hmm. So I've u- utilized that in, in franchising all of my career. And um, you know now I see it taking me to um, you know other areas such as neuroscience and and brain science and applying that into you know franchising, which is you know what I'm doing now. Yeah, well, that's one of the things. Well, that's the focus I think of this this conversation today. But when because you're doing so many amazing things, and I love how you describe your passion for helping people master the inner game. And that's something I want to talk to you about, just this, you know, how you got into that. But what's the, I'm trying to, I'm wondering, what's the earliest version? If we went back to, you know, five-year-old Lizette, what was, could you tell us a story of when you were that young or maybe older or slightly younger, when you were breaking down the technical subject for someone or something? I think it was um, it was um, my uh, my classmates. I think I guess I was around twelve years old. So I mean, not yeah. not when I was five for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I was yeah. around twelve years old. Yeah. And um, it, you know, I wasn't really great at geography, but I I was a, you know a really a, a very good student. So, but um, I remember just. Uh, drawing maps with my friends and kind of helping them see how they could utilize um, just their brains, basically. I mean, I didn't know then there that, but that you know, I used to help them um, color maps and create maps where where they use colors in the right. You know, now I know it's the right side of the brain mm. to really memorize and 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 um, apply the knowledge or just retain the knowledge yeah. of geography. And so, you know, I remember that that was um, kind of uh, taking something that was dreadful and making it fun. Um, yeah. and, and so that was that was uh, something that stayed with me for a long time. Well, that's good. Did you have that from your parents or your siblings? I'm sorry, what did you say? Did you, because I'm wondering why you were like that, because not everyone is like that at 12. Did you, <laughs> why do you think that is? I, I have no idea, you know, I, I just, um, I mean, I was a, a good student from the very, the, the get-go, my, my parents, I guess, you know, that was the one thing um, that they demanded, I guess, of me, but the truth mm. of the matter is that I loved it. I loved to study, I mean, I... I remember when I was, uh, you know, seven, eight years old, um, you know, getting up real early to do my homework. Instead yeah. of doing it at night, I would get up at four or five o'clock in the morning just by myself you know, and do my homework then. Yeah. It was just something I, 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 I was, I think I was just born that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure you, well, your classmates loved you for that. <laughs> My classmates still, I mean, I have, I'm in touch with a lot of them, um, and uh, they still tease me about it, you yeah. know. They, <laughs> I have a, a very good friend who actually uh, gave me a little owl as, as a present. Yeah. Um, it's a bookmark the other day. Just, um, it's just interesting how they see me in that way. So, yeah. so that's, because what I'm curious then is seeing that passion that you had for learning and a number, I think many people will have that at some in some form when they're kids. 
How did you retain yours between 12 and now? What was your journey? You know, it, it was something that, for me, it's just a variety. It's, it's a passion. It's, it's that need to know. Mm. It's that two-year-old that says, why, 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 why? You know, I, I have the same thing. I never grew up at that age, I think. I always yeah. needed to know why why things worked that way. Yeah. But I always related it to myself and my own growth. And from there, then applied it to other people. Mm. It, it uh, it's just something that has always kept me going because mm, I've always wanted to get better. You know, I, I, I was never satisfied um, with where I was. And so now I'm, it's interesting because I, I feel happier at where I am, but still mm. I have that need to grow. So there is always room to to get better. There is never, you know, there's never perfection, but there's never, you never arrive basically. Yeah. And, um, I've always, you know, in, for many years, I think that that actually worked against me, oh. um, because you can take it, you can take it to an extreme. So yeah. I did, you know, oh, <laughs> so, example. It was, I'm curious. <laughs> so it's just getting back to that balance, you know, in the last few years, yeah. um, well, in the last 10 years, I guess, where I, uh, you know, the learning has taken me to a place of, um, you know, contentment, yet um, still wanting for, for more, you know. So yeah. you're happy where you are, but you want more. So, yeah. Which is, a you know, oxymoron, if you would, but it, it one that works. Yeah. Because, and one thing I noticed with your story is you had this passion for learning, and it seemed only natural to you to help other people learn when they were struggling with something. So I'm wondering right. how the school system didn't, didn't snag you? How did you end up in business as opposed to maybe in education? Hmm. It's interesting. You know, I, I came to the States to from Venezuela to uh, go to school, and uh, I started my, my, my studies in Venezuela, and I was studying to be a teacher, actually. I was uh -huh. studying languages. I studied Japanese and, and um in English. Yeah. And um, when I came here to the States, I became an English major because I really wanted to master the language. And so I chose the, the hardest path possible. And then I, you know, I, I, was, I was taking so many courses every semester, uh, quarter, yeah. I was in the quarter system, that my time in school was getting to be shorter. And so I said, wait a second, you know, I'm going to graduate way too soon. I'm going to have to go back to Venezuela. So I yeah. decided to, at that point, um, expand to economics uh -huh. and get a double major. Yeah. And that's what set me in the path of business. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, honestly, it was one time, one day I was, I was given by my parents one more year of schooling. Yeah. And so I grabbed the catalog of the school and said, what can I do in one year? And that was economics. Wow. <laughs> That's what put me in this path. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. And just that one turning point launched you on the, on the right. career that you're on. That's right. That's wow. right. That's right. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. So you did economics and then did you end up going back to Venezuela after that? 
No, I stay here because I, I I I was taking care of my brothers, my younger brothers, my brothers and um, and I have quite a difference in age, and so they were going to school, and I was taking care of them for a year, and yeah. I was going to um, I was going to go to UMass to get a master's. I was living in Massachusetts, and I'm going to get a master's in UMass, and yeah. in the application process, they said you need to get me some you know letters of recommendation, and in for me, um, you know, instead of calling the professors and sending them letters, because back then there was no email, things like that, yeah. I actually got in my car and I drove down to Virginia Tech, that's where I was, and so yeah. I drove down and I met with the professors, and when I told them what I was planning on doing, they said, well, why are you going to UMass? You have here an assistantship. So both schools, the School of Economics and the School of English yeah. gave me an assistantship, so uh-huh. I had to choose, and I chose economics. Yeah. Do you know why you chose it? Uh, yes, dollar signs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm very practical, and so, and I've always been practical, so I, I thought if I was going to um, make a living, um, I thought that I would have a, a much greater opportunity of doing so being a, um, having a master's or actually I was going for my PhD, I stopped at my master's level, yeah. um, in economics than I, than I would in English. So, yeah. um, you know, some, some days I regret, some, sometimes I have regretted it yeah. because I think I could have really enjoyed that portion, but it would have taken me in a totally different path. Yeah. Yeah. And it would have cha- changed you, uh, you're having an impact on all sorts of people. Um, now, and, you, it's, yeah. and you're used, doing it through language, you know, with the various blog posts and presentations that you give. So maybe you get you're getting your chance now to still kind of pursue <laughs> it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm doing basically what I've always been meant to do, just doing it and in, in, perhaps in in um, exactly where I was supposed to do it <laughs> instead yeah. of be more academic. Because yeah. I am a very practical person, so I don't know that I would have survived the academic uh, world. Well, I think that's one of the things that sets you apart with the things people say about you online. It's like you have this um, grasping of concepts that can seem philosophical to people, but you're grounded in the practicality, and that's evident in the businesses that you've helped set up and the companies you work with. And mm-hmm. I, you know, all of this, I, I thought it would be useful to give the audience some context of just who you are before we well, thank you. we get get into the meat of this conversation, which is a blog post that you wrote uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is about the worst things you can say to franchisees. Oh, uh, okay, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I read mm-hmm. that and I, I thought, yeah, we, I need to talk to to Lizette about this because mm-hmm. you it comes down to I think it was if I counted right maybe six words. You know, what what are what is the worst thing you can say to franchisees? Well. In my experience, and with given the knowledge that I have today, um, the first thing that you can say to a franchisee or a franchise owner is, you're not following the system. Mm-hmm. Yet, I know I said it. I've yeah. said it a hundred times, so a hundred thousand times, especially at the very beginning of my career yeah. um, when I didn't know better. Um, and it's not just me. You know, it's part of uh, the whole it's ingrained in our culture as franchising people. Um, We're trying to help the franchisee succeed, and we know that there is this system that was created that is, when replicated, 
it um, and and followed, it produces the you know measurable results. Yeah. And so, you know, when we see someone who is not uh, replicating the system the way they should, he's not really following the system. Then, mm. you know, instead of us trying to find out how we can communicate that information, how we can help that individual, we fall back into those words. They're not following the system. Yeah. And it's such a scary um, accusation, really, because we don't see it as an accusation, but mm. it is an accusation, yeah. um, that it really freezes people. Because mm. in the... Because what I found when I read the blog posts, and it makes sense, because on the one hand, you've got franchising, which is about the system. And you, I've talked to people and read blog posts where they say you need to be the sort of person who's okay with following a system. And it's almost as if the system right. is, is the be-all and end-all. And it, it really is important. It's what separates a franchising business concept from something else. But exactly. It, but at the same time, you're dealing with human beings who right. aren't rigid and impersonal in one sense, mm -hmm. like a franchising system. So I'm right. So how did you? How come you started noticing that distinction between the importance of the system and also the importance of the inner perspective of the franchisee? What What was the turning point for you? You know, it, it didn't happen immediately. It wasn't like, a, like, oh, my God, this is it. Oh, my, it's just like a lightning bolt, you know. It mm. happened on, over time. It never felt right, even though I used it. It never felt right because when I, when I felt the reaction or, it, or when I saw the reaction of um, the franchisee mm. uh, that I was speaking with, I knew it was in a positive reaction. So I, I eventually had to turn it around. And um, when people know me, they know that I, that, you know, my, I'm very direct. And so um, they, they understand that I really care. And yeah. um, that comes first. Yeah. And people, but yet, even though they knew that, they knew that that, that I that I care about them, that it was safe for them to be around me and to listen to what I had to say. Mm. I still, you know, that those words created um, a reaction that was I knew was not the reaction I wanted. Yeah. So I could see it over time. But yeah, what what I you know the the most important point, I guess, or uh, is to actually see other people using it mm. and as an observant and seeing the reaction of the franchisees when those people use it. And I, you know, that's happened to me I mean, over time. Yeah. And that's when I said, okay, so there's a disconnect here. So in my quest, again, you know, finding why, why is there a disconnect? Because there is a logic, you know, the franchisors are saying it because they care, yeah. because they wanted to help the franchisees, and the franchisees knew that they had to follow the system before they joined the system. So yeah. why is there a disconnect? And then that's in my learning about the brain, in my learning about uh, neuroscience, is when I, when I realized what was causing the problem, where the disconnect was. Uh -huh. And moreover, and most importantly, I think, is for me, is 
why does the franchisee does not follow the system? You know, that I've been um, in search for that answer. Mm. And so obviously there is many answers to that. Many, yeah. There are many reasons why a franchisee may not follow the system. But truly in the very um, essence of it is because they have disengaged at one point. And that point is, what, something about that system has been construed by the franchisee's brain as a danger, uh-huh. as a threat. Okay. Um, so it could be as simple as, um, you know, picking up that phone and making that call and having a prospect not responding or, you know, being angry or telling you, you know, well, how do you get my phone number or something like that? Yeah. And then they reading that as, oh, my God, you know, I, this, I'm not good enough. I can't, you know, hold these conversations. I'll never do well. And then our brain, the way it happens is that we jump to conclusions. You know, we are always trying to make meaning out of life. Yeah. So when we are hijacked by the amygdala, which is our fear center, yeah. and we basically react from a fear base, the interpretation that we're going to give to the events are all negative. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so what happens is the franchisee then will go and jump to the conclusion, well, I should not, you know, in order for me to feel better, in order for me to really, you know, I, I need to not make this call. Hmm. And maybe I need to do something different than making calls. Yeah. Maybe I need to go and only do job fairs, or maybe I need to only do, you know, uh, ad ads. Um, so they start changing the system little by little without even knowing, and they they know less why they did it. Mm. Um, so you know what the franchisor sees is the results, right? This yeah. guy's not making the calls, or this gal's not making the calls. They they're not following the system. Yeah. Um, and so they just instead of trying to find out what was it that made that franchisee disconnect from the system, disengage. Um, What threatened him or her? How, what was the interpretation um, that they gave to that, you know, event? Um, They, you know, we, we take the easy route out, which is to say, Hey, you're not following the system. Yeah. And that's horrible. (laughs) Yeah. That's the easy way to sum it up. And just because yeah. you've said a lot there, Lizette, I thought if we just take a step back for the audience, because sure. what we're talking about is there may be a franchise owner who's wondering why his franchisees aren't succeeding. And he might just right. look at the signs, observe the behavior and come to the conclusion they're not they're just not following the system. Mm-hmm. And then on the other mm-hmm. side, you have a franchisee who's frustrated and thinks right. this system isn't working for me. I'm doing everything right. I can. So right. in both cases, are they aware that there's something going on beneath or they're just looking at what's not working? They are not looking at the right 
things. I think that that's what it, what it is. They, mm. I mean, the truth of the matter is, yes, the franchisee may not be following the system, yeah. and yes, the franchise, and that might lead that franchisee to to not having results. But the answer is not on the franchisee. When telling the franchisee, you've got to follow the system because mm. the franchisee is unable to do it. Yeah. It, and, and I think that that's what the problem with franchisors, most franchisors, I'm not saying every franchisor, but most franchisors is, is that when they see a struggling franchisee, mm. they go for the outer um, reasons. They look at the um, anything, everything that has to do outside of the franchisee himself or herself. Yeah. And they don't realize that um, when a franchisee is not following the system and not doing something that they're supposed to do or that they, they should want to do because it will help them, um, it's not because they're just being like teenagers, you know, rebelling and not wanting to. It's mm. simply that they cannot. Yeah. And they cannot because they're frozen by fear. Yeah. And they don't they might not even know it that they are frozen by fear. That's that's the that's the thing. Yeah. You know, a franchisee who is also uh, frustrated and struggling, he or she may not know what the cost is. Mm. They may just say, as you said, you know, the franchise system is not working for me. Um, but the truth is the franchise systems you know, if, if they've worked for others, they should work for them. For them. Yeah. But why is it not working for them? Is for so, there's something in that system that they've interpreted as a threat, and finding that is the key. Yeah, because in a way, it's saying, if somebody is struggling, the easy thing is to say it's your fault. You're not following the system. But what you're showing is a different perspective. That actually, it's not your fault. There's something that is happening in your mind where you're reacting to something in the system you're working with. You are absolutely right. That is exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 And, that, and that's something, because I'm fascinated by that aspect of your work, because others have talked about this. Stephen Pressfield, who wrote a, a fabulous book called The War of Art, called this The Resistance. And Seth Godin, who's a, a brilliant marketer, he talked about the lizard brain in his book, Lynchpin. And it's, it's talking about this, hid this part of you that keeps you from doing your best work, keeps you from yeah. doing what you know you need to do. The reason, right. the, often the example used is where Seth talks about writer's block, where he'll say there is no such thing as writer's block because you don't get talker's block. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I can't talk today, I got talker's block. But there's, a, <laughs> there's just a fear of saying the wrong thing. That makes you not right. not speak. He's, and it's, it's that aspect. So I wonder if you have any, just to ground it for the audience, do you have any story that you could share illustrating how you've applied this practice? Because you're, you're a very practical person. Somebody could be listening to this and saying, okay, yeah, blah. But in terms of, but you're working with clients where they're having a significant, seeing a difference because you're working with them on understanding the inner game. Do you have a story you could, could share with us? Um, yeah, I, I do. I, I mean, I'm trying to think what's the most relevant story that I can share with you yeah. to this point. Um, one of, one of the, I guess it is you know, going back to those calls. I mean, I've worked with people who are totally afraid of, of making calls yeah. and yet their businesses, re, you know, basically depend a hundred percent on those, those calls. 
Yeah. So if not 100%, you know, largely on, on making those goals. Yeah. So it's just working with uh, the franchisor and helping the franchisor realize that, you know, when a person or when franchisees are coming to you and they're saying, you know, you sent, you, the leads here you're giving us are not good and, you know, there is something underneath that. And then working with a franchise to really help them see that the franchisees are, are not just complaining and not just, you know, um, trying to be difficult, mm. but that there is something behind that. Mm. And um, that then, then looking at the different franchisees and working with the different franchisees and, and seeing what their, what their experiences are. So you go back to the coaching and then on one-on-one, yeah. you know, one-on-one basis. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the the um, trick about franchising. You know, we use standard operating systems, right? So yeah. we we use the same training um, program for franchisees, and um, not all franchisees learn the same way, right? Yeah, different learning so, styles. Exactly, learning styles. Yet, you know, the this the programs that we take them through are basically the same. Yeah. So at one point, you know, my clients have to realize that, you know, there is for a certain group of individuals, group of franchisees, we have to do something different. Yeah. And that one-on-one coaching has become um, really so important, but coaching in, in many organizations, has taken the form of coaching on, on subjects about performance. Mm. And what I'm, you know, what I'm proposing is that performance is only achieved if you're taking care of the individual first. Yeah. And helping that individual create the awareness that they need so that they can stop those things before and not depend on a coach but, you know, really learn themselves to know when they're going to, you know, to a place where they shouldn't be yeah. or when they are in a place where they shouldn't be. Yeah. So I was working with, a, with a, um, um, a lady the other day and, you know, she, she was really um, terrified of, of making these calls. Yeah. And um, what I was just saying to her is, when you're terrified of making these calls, you know, you could, you have two choices. You grab the phone and you call, right? Yeah. But that may not help you. Mm. It's just, it's sitting with the awareness of what's happening to me and then looking at the worst scenario and, and then kind of really going inward. And that's, you know, it's a little bit zen or yeah. a lot zen, you know, because we live in this world where everything is out, out, out. Yeah. And well, in franchising, you know, we're very traditional in franchising and, you know, talking about awareness, talking about self-knowledge, talking about silence, talking about those meditation, those things are just something that you don't talk about. Yeah. But honestly, the only way that you can get to a person, a person can get, go away from fear into the more cognitive um, centers of the brain, such as the prefrontal cortex, the only way that they can do that is through awareness, is to know, God, I'm afraid. (laughs) Recognize, okay, I'm in fear, and I have another option. And it's just my brain. And to look at themselves through the brain and how the brain works, 
it really helps a person because it's almost like you can talk about your brain and it's a separate thing than you. Yeah. Uh, so you're not so um, punishing of yourself and critic- self-criticizing. You can just look at your brain and say, this is the way we're wired. Yeah. But we're hardwired that way. Yeah. But we have an option, you know, through evolution, we now can go away from that. Yeah. So you can take teach your friends, you know, teach franchisees to actually notice that. Mm. And uh, coaching is critical for that and just that individual attention. Yeah. And I guess you're helping them see that they are not their brain in the same exactly. way that if somebody's exactly. driving a, a car and it starts right. to make noises, they don't blame themselves. They look at the dashboard and say, what's wrong with this car? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And it's much easier than to deal with um, the inner part of an individual, it's, it's less fearful. There's a lot of fear around talking uh, to someone about their feelings and, you know, but now we're looking not just at feelings and not, we're not being psychologists, we're being scientists, really. Mm. And we're saying, you know, the science says this is what's happening to you. Yeah. And, you know, this is how you can change it. Yeah. And because what I'm wondering is, because you've got over two decades worth of experience in business, and I'm wondering if, and with the work you've been doing of late with studying the brain, can you now group people? Can you recognize, are there types of franchisees or franchisors where you can say, here's our classification system, there are five types, and this type is a, is aware of how they think, or is that a, a gross generalization yeah you know benchmarking I mean the more I study the brain yeah the more I realize that benchmarking and and doing that type of analysis is dangerous Uh because um, what what happens is that each individual you know we are kind of calibrated according to different things for example our social needs Hmm. Our need for certainty, our need for status, our yeah. need for, you know, all of those needs that we have that in many cases are considered by us or by our brains as important as our lives. Yeah. Um, but we all calibrate it differently. Mm. And so what I mean by that is, you know, just imagine a straight line, right? And so on the one end, you have a threat or danger. Yeah. On the other end, you have um, a reward, mm. right? And so your your brain, our brains, and, and you know, are calibrated a little bit, not in the middle, mm. but a little bit closer to the danger side, uh-huh. right? What does that mean? Yeah. We are going through the world scanning the world, looking for danger. Mm-hmm. We are not um, uh, hardwired to actually be looking for reward. We're looking for danger because we want to save our lives. We still have that from, you know, when we had to fight lions and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so what happens is uh, it, the danger is very personal. Mm. What do I mean by that is that for me, perhaps um, uncertainty, I'm okay with uncertainty. Yeah. Um, but I may not be okay with, um, you know, social disgrace. Yeah. For example. 
Yeah. But, and you may be just the opposite, yeah. you know, you're okay. I mean, I don't, you don't mind if someone call you, whatever it is, you're very confident on that area and that it's not really, but you really need to be certain. Mm. So every person is calibrated differently for the different stimuli that is thrown at us. Yeah. So we, we could, and we, we can, and we would, we do classify those, you know, those areas. Um, but how each individual reacts to them is different. And what's more important is that it's different um, and it's not consistently the same. So mm. it's different from person to person and it's not consistently the same with that individual. Ah, so it can change given... Exactly. Uh, yeah. That and makes it interesting. <laughs> Very interesting, and so that's why I mean that's why I'm fascinated about learning about the whole this whole thing. Yeah, um, I give you an example. Um, I was talking to someone that was looking for an answer, a franchisor. He was scratching his head, and he was saying, um, "I'm talking to every consultant I can find because I have a problem. The mm. problem is that um, I we get franchisees here and." Once they are, they open their locations, they change personality on us. I mean, mm -hmm. these are his literal world words. Uh -huh. They change personality on us. Yeah. And I, you know, it was interesting for me to, I never heard anybody say that. He was really frustrated. Yeah. He says, we, we know that our training program is the best. We know that, you know, we, we just need to find out how we can choose people so that they don't flip on us, basically. That's what he was uh -huh. saying. Yeah. But the thing about it is that the flip occurs, and it's going to occur, period, because when the franchisee is look, or when a person is looking to buy a franchise, mm. what being stimulated in their brains is the, the novelty center. Yeah. We like novelty. That's why, you know, everybody one's their new iPhone and, you know, iPad and mm. all of that, you know, because we're one the, the the coolest tool. And it's just because it, it, it makes us feel good. It sends endorphins, yeah. you know, in our, you know, so we feel really great when we have this you know, for about five minutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> the new iPhone. But it, it's, it's really been tested and researched that there is this multi center that lights up yeah. in our brains every time there is a new experience. Yeah. Now, that novelty center is very close to the amygdala, very close to the fear center. So yeah. here's what happens. As a prospect, in, in, in my opinion, my, you know, what I could deduct, as a prospect is looking at to, to, to buy a franchise, mm. they are look, they're really excited with all the novelty. They're yeah. so excited that, oh, my God, this is so incredible. They, they, they really... Um, they're telling their friends, they're telling everybody, it's like, you know, you've got a new car, you know, you're showing everybody. Yeah. What happens, however, is once they are in the business, they open up the doors and they are in facing all of a sudden their new lives. Yeah. It does, that novelty goes away and what happens, it just dips into the amygdala. Mm -hmm. just, or, the, or the change is so great that it actually dips into that amygdala causing fear. And of course, it, we, all, we all react differently to fear. Yeah. We either freeze, we fight, or we fly. You yeah. know, we just go away. So, so those are the things um, 
that happens. So in an individual, it could, it could change day by day. Yeah. Like, for example, he could be very happy one day and then has a fight with his wife or his wife start telling him, you know, you, you know, when we had all, when you had the job, you know, we had all this money. Now we have to watch every penny yeah. that can throw that individual into something yeah. just because it's a social, you know, he's reacting to a threat. Yeah. So again, there is, the, unfortunately, the way the more I study the brain, um, the more it becomes um, difficult for me to really find a system that you can classify and you can just predict, mm. um, as you were saying, uh, because every individual is different, but also they're not consistent um, mm. every day. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because what you're saying makes sense. And then I start thinking, okay. Part of what it, you were describing makes sense if somebody's gone for, for example, a job or maybe even trying to start their own business and struggling and then deciding, you know what, I'm going to be, be part of a franchise business concept. But where mm -hmm. is, do you see a distinction between things that are just life, you know, where some days are good, some days are bad, and then some individuals who are franchisees where they're the, the stresses of life but then you have maybe 100 franchisees and 50 of them react, you know, glass is half full, I'll deal with it. The other ones, mm -hmm. you know, glass is half empty, it's the franchise system. Is there a distinction? Is there like a point where it's because the franchisor who was saying they flip on me, is it where they they do it to a point where it affects productivity or is it just... Sure, sure. It affects, but what he was saying, they were very excited. I mean, basically what I could, what I could gather because he was so frustrated that I really didn't have um, the ability to really get from him exactly what he was talking about. But mm. what I understood was that they were really excited. They were really doing everything that they needed to do prior to buying that franchise. Once they got the franchise, then they started getting you know, complaining, bitching, uh, negative, mm. or they were just not doing what they were supposed to be doing. Um, they were not doing the marketing. They were not, you know, spending the money and what they needed to spend it. They were cutting corners, you know, those things, and, and um, something that they never expected from, from that individual. Uh -huh. But so the, the key here is that what they're looking at and that's where I talk to help them understand what you're looking at is the result, but that's not the problem. The problem is what's causing that individual to act that way. Yeah. Because if it was able to act in a different way, yeah, that means that that's possible within him or her to act that way, right? Yeah. So there is something causing him or her to act in a different way. So what is it? That is the key. So that's the key for, for us to find out. So are you able to help franchise, uh, franchise businesses um, avoid that scenario where they're frustrated um, or are you able to help them choose? What is there a solution to this? Because it sounds to me as if you know, if there is no solution, then it's just something that people have to do their best screening, then see who they have once the person's bought the franchise and then bring you in or bring in coaches to help you know, pick up the pieces. Is there a different well, scenario? Yeah, I, I do believe that there are certain things that you can and should do prior to bringing someone in into your system. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's lots of tools out there to help you get a person that 
fits the behavioral style that most likely will succeed in your, in your organization. Mm. There, <clears throat> you also need to make sure that there is a map between that individual's values and your organization's values. Mm. And that is critical. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so, so what, ha- what, um, so that needs to happen first. You know, all of those things that need to happen, they, you know, you need to, as a franchisor, I think that you have the responsibility to do whatever you can to make sure that there is the closest match possible to your business and to that individual's goals and expectations and values. Yeah. But once, but you also need to understand that regardless of how good there, the match can be done or you know achieved. Yeah. You're still going to have individuals who are going to react in a different way that you expect them to. Yeah, the match is just something that perhaps in the future, as they go through the and conquer their fear and become more confident, mm. they will get to that point of being able to perform. Yeah. But you've got to help them, and in my opinion, is the first 16 months. Mm. of the life of a franchisee and specifically the first nine months of the life of a franchisee are critical. Mm. And that's what, what a franchisor needs to focus on and understand that the person that they're dealing with is not necessarily the person that that individual is, mm. it's just a person in distress and in, in stress. Yeah. And that they just need to create, um, help the franchisee identify what's with them and then produce, then change the conditions where they feel safer. Yeah. <clears throat> and then they, they have the ability then to produce the results that they, you know, that they both want. Uh-huh. Because what I, as you were talking, I was wondering, I wonder if Lizette does like a boot camp where before somebody can buy a, a franchise concept, they go through testing based on the research that you've done where it helps them know for themselves whether mm-hmm, or not they mm-hmm. are a match for that specific um, business, that franchise opportunity, um, or even franchising by itself. Because people have told me right. that you know franchising isn't for everyone. So I'm just wondering if there's, is there a way to not, you know, when you said that the, the novelty center is triggered to do mm-hmm. something where you check a different center of the brain whilst the, before the person says, yes, I want to commit to this franchise um, before the franchise uh, awards it. Is that there yet? Or? I, I think that, I mean, that would be awesome. I just don't <laughs> think that most franchises, I mean, that sounds incredible. I mean, <laughs> I would love to do that. Um, I mean, there is, um, there is a brain center here in town in, my, in Asheville where I live, um, um, which is open and it's working with people and helping them achieve uh, peak performance and all kinds of things and increase their cognitive ability. And they, they have all this brain tests, you know, they, it's, it's really incredible. So I guess you could do something actually, I'm meeting with them to just find out more about how that could be applied to franchising. Yeah. But I don't think that is honestly, I don't think that it's uh, very um, realistic that a lot of people are going to be open to something like that. Uh-huh. It uh, it'll be years uh, before people, um, most people really, they're going into franchising. They just don't have that mindset. At least that's my experience. Um, and so it really, we have to go baby steps. And I think the baby steps is really helping the franchise war um, just um, 
of putting into place the programs that they need to put into place to help the franchisee through that those first nine months. Yeah. Number one, and then also create awareness within the franchisees and um, and help the franchisees, you know, from a personal basis. I mean, there's a lot of people obviously that are that they the, the want to improve in a personal way, and they read a lot, and you know, they have a lot of access to um, self-help information. Yeah. So, I mean, those franchisees, you know, will look for answers themselves. But in general, you know, most people, I, I don't think that, I mean, I, I wish I was wrong, but I, I don't think I yeah. am. But, you know, yeah. the way that people people say, okay, I'm miserable in this job. I want to change. Yeah. Right? And so they start looking for a change. And franchising is a, a really great option. Yeah. They go into franchising, but they really skip that preparation Step. And, and they really, it would be great to have it, but it's not necessary, you know, to achieve success. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just, it, it may just make it a less, a little bit less painful. But the truth is, you know, you learn on the trenches, you know. Yeah. You learn by getting up and doing those, you know, steps and then falling down and, yeah. you know, getting up again and doing it again. So. Yeah. Well, I, got, I think I've got just a couple more questions. Thank you for okay. talking with us so far. But the big thing is we've been talking a lot about the inner game. And yes. I'm wondering if, what is your experience when you talk to franchisors the way you've been talking to us here in the podcast? Are they called, well, what is your experience? Are they resistant to it or are they open to this? Um, there is a mix. Mm. I think that franchisors um, are more open to it today than they were even five years ago. Mm-hmm. This information about the brain and you know brain science and neuroscience and, and not just the the um, self help type of stuff, but really the science is is so available today. It's so popular that people picking up any magazine or any newspaper, they always find an article about the brain. And so, mm. so I think that that awareness is, is making people much more open to that information. Mm. And what I'm trying to do is be the conduit to help them see how that information actually applies to their businesses. Yeah. And what I'm, what I'm seeing is that um, some people love it uh, because it's really different. Um, I've had franchisees, really have loved my articles and love what I what I have to say because it helps them. Mm. So I am seeing some receptivity uh, and and hopefully it'll just continue to grow. Yeah. Cuz what when I was preparing for our conversation it struck me that what you're doing is what uh, coaches of athletes at the very high level. So I'm thinking of professional golfers who have somebody or cyclists, you know, the Tour de France or just people who want to get to be the best that they can be. And they have somebody looking at their mental state when they're hitting a putt or things that seem to have nothing to do with the sport on the outside, but they'll spend a year with somebody who will say the way you're thinking when you're reaching that final stretch, when you're running, that's affecting your performance. So So what you're doing is you're offering companies and all the people you work with really high level insight to help them be the best that they can be. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. And, and I'm doing it through the, through something, you know, that it's not a pseudoscience like 
computer science like psychology, then, you know, now psychology is being, um, you know, elevated to more of a science because the back research of the brain and, and neuroscience is, is, is available today. And it wasn't, you know, 15 years ago. Mm. So, you know, before you, you heard this, I, I don't think the type of information that I'm putting out there is not, necessarily all new mm. is just what's new is that, that there is proof there is research mm. there is you know an, a, a real understanding of how the brain works mm. uh, and reacts to different things in our environment and that I think is what's what's different um, that's that's what I bring to the table that I think um, you know, other people have talked about the inner game of franchising, mm. and um, the inner game. You know, what I'm lo- I'm looking at the inner game, but I'm looking at it through the eyes of science. Yeah, and I guess that gives people confidence when they know you're coming at it from a neuroscience point of view, and not, I'll say merely because there's a lot to be said for psychology, but it's not yes. just the same thing that they've heard from other people. It's qualified right. by the research and hard evidence. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. That's really cool. So just, we'll end with this. Uh, what if you could say one thing to the audience, just with all the things that we've shared and could leave them with one insight, what would it be? Um, that we have an enormous ability to um, reach all the possibilities that we can imagine and we cannot imagine. I mean, we, we our brains are made out of possibilities we we can grow every day and we can look at the same um problems under different contexts and find the answers Mm. and then just be open to something new that probably is the key here um is just that be open to learn more about who you are by learning about how your brain works yeah i like that Lizette, thank you for talking to us. Where can people find you if they want to reach out to you online? Well, um, my website is www.insidefranchisesuccess.com and all the information on how to contact me, my email, and my telephone number are there. All right. Well, I'll put those in the show notes over on the podcast website, which is otcfranchising.com. And I'll put all the links there in your LinkedIn profile and a link to the blog post, the excellent blog post you wrote about the worst thing to say to a franchisee. Great. Thanks for talking. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please let me know what you think by posting a written review on iTunes and visiting the website at www.otcfranchising.com. Talk to you soon.